This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And welcome to Sandy and Sean. I'm Sandy Clough. Sean Drotar will join us shortly as we begin yet another week here on Mile High Sports with a reaction Monday. And there is much to which we will be reacting over the next couple of hours here on Mile High Sports, 98.1 FM and 107.5 HD3, milehighsports.com slash watch or slash Listen, if you prefer, we're also available via the Mile High Sports app. And our executive producer, as always, is the great Danny Bailey. And as sports weekends go, even if you wish to cheat a little bit and throw the Broncos Thursday nighter into the mix, It was a sports weekend, particularly in the fall, the likes of which I don't know that we've experienced in quite some time. From Friday night or early Saturday morning through Saturday night and early Sunday morning, we saw two of the great comebacks, unfortunately, Only one of them was executed by an area school. The other, of course, by Stanford on Friday night. And Sean Drotar, that's where we will begin. Yeah, and it's obviously a bad bad start uh, for for the Buffaloes when they finally get get things going right. 29-point lead, 29-0. The biggest lead they have ever had. And... They end up blowing that lead. It's the largest blown lead in the history of the program, which goes all the way back to 1890. It's the biggest comeback in the history of Stanford. That goes back to 1891. And after focusing on a quick start, they get it. And then everything sort of falls apart. An an absolute disaster of a second half. And defense has been a problem, of course, for the Buffaloes all year long. It's, uh, It's not good. And we have indicated that it is. It's a problem. But this is just a collapse. And it runs the risk, I think, for the buffs, as as we heard somewhere around the country. Certain people looked at it that way. Well, they're a fraud. See, look, now they've had to play real teams, and now they don't know what they're going to do, and they're a bit of a fraud. But Stanford's not one of those real teams. Stanford was not ranked last week by The Athletic in their weekly rankings of 133 FBS schools in the top 100. Neither, by the way, was Colorado State. Mm-hmm. So I they, don't know who should be more to embarrassed win. today, Boise State or Colorado. Colorado. Now, I, don't think I, it's close. I have to say it's Colorado because of all the attention Colorado has received. Even when Boise State has been good, close to great in years past, never received the kind of attention that Colorado has received. So th- this is the boomerang effect. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that people are reasonably going as far as to call them fraudulent, but this is the boomerang effect. You're on the cover of Time Magazine, at least in some areas. Mm-hmm. My Time Magazine did not have Dion on the cover, <laughs> but it did have the piece, of course, inside, written by Sean Gregory, a terrific writer for Time Magazine. Uh, I have not yet read the piece, but it is... Uh, 
obviously something that came out before Friday night, and it is suitably uh, laudatory of what has gone on in Boulder and sketches out what the first month and maybe even six weeks were like before week seven. And now Colorado has a buy. They must stew on it. But it's 29 to nothing with nine minutes, two seconds left in the third quarter. Yeah. And then even when they score the two quickie touchdowns, they miss the two-point conversion both times. So mm-hmm. it's still 29 to 12. But I'll, I'll tell you my story very quickly. I'm watching Friday night. You were there, of course. Right. Uh, you are not, by the way, as some texters have suggested to me over the weekend, you are not the PA announcer who was admonished by <laughs> no. the uh, by the referees. Referee, correct. In no. the in the in the first no. half for playing music correct. inappropriately during Stanford offensive right. sequences. They were, so, yeah, they were warned right. at they, one they point. They were yeah. warned at one point and then, you know, pretty it, it went viral. I mean, the, the official castigating the PA not so. You are the PA guy for the press box. Yes. Not 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 the general PA Correct. announcer. So you are blameless in all of that. But I don't even have a button. They don't let me, it's, it's half like, it's like here. And I, you know, I'm thinking it's 29 to nothing. I'm going to bed. You know, I'll do some reading. Go to bed. Yeah. This right. one's over. It's not competitive. There's nothing I can glean from watching. And that, that's how I felt about looking at Colorado State as well. Oh, I went to bed I, when I, it was 30 to 10. I went and did I, other I, things went, with my time. Went, went yep. So, I, fortunately, I have ESPN+. Plus. The game was on. The next morning, I get up at 7 o'clock, not knowing what happened. I go down. I get on the Internet. Go to ESPN.com. Blaring headlines. Greatest comeback in school history, or at least one of them for Stanford, one of them that may be as memorable as any Stanford win or comeback has ever been, because again, it was a national TV game right. on a Friday night, right. not exactly in prime time, but still a national TV game. So I look at that and I, I quickly go to the uh, ESPN plus section and, and get the game. And I had some business on Saturday morning, but I was able to watch up until about nine minutes remained in the game, and they're still up 36-26. But I knew how it ended. I came back later and watched the end of it. So <laughs> I, I, I knew what the result was, and in watching it, Sean, I still couldn't believe it. I still couldn't believe it. I, I, even knowing the outcome, before I watched the second half, I, I'm still thinking, how on earth? Twenty-nine to nothing becomes twenty-nine twenty-six at one point, but then they score to make it thirty-six twenty-six, and you're you're almost halfway into the fourth quarter. It's, they're up ten, and with five oh seven left, it's thirty-six twenty-six. But Deion Sanders is yelling at one of his players on the sideline after that same player was admonished by teammate Chalo Sanders on the field. Mm-hmm. So you could see along the way, certainly in hindsight, going back and watching the replay, looking, looking for signs of unraveling. Um, I made half a page worth of notes <laughs> yeah. here on how it unraveled in the second half, just in the second half. The 
first series, there were two drops, which didn't appear to mean anything at the time, but looking back, Mm -hmm. maybe an ominous indication of complacency, right, that Sanders spoke of after the game. Then there's a sack on fourth down. Now, uh, some of Dion's rather inscrutable critics are blasting him for going for it on fourth down. If that's your central criticism of Deion Sanders on Friday night, you're letting them off easy because that was the <laughs> least of the offenses that Colorado committed uh, in the second half. But uh, th- there is uh, a pass interference penalty or a hold on Cooper after that. And then the 10th penalty with 12 men on the field, there would be more, and there would, in fact, be 17 penalties by the end of the game, several involving illegal substitution, which, to me, was the chief indicator of a meltdown in progress, especially with uh, Coach Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, uh, trying to rip hair out of his bald head. And obviously not succeeding, but just going bonkers after each and every one of the illegal substitution penalties. You were there. Do you know? I assume the defensive coordinator is responsible for that. And I know the players got confused and all of that, but they do practice it during the week. Lewis Riddick pointed it out. Deion Sanders after the game pointed it out. They practice that. And they still messed it up. One time, okay. Two times, borderline unacceptable. Three times, four times in the game. That's a joke. That's a joke. And I'm sorry. That's that's mal coaching malpractice. It's coaching obviously malpractice. been a, a an issue with those illegal substitutions. And the the idea, I think, what they're trying to get done is. You know, mix and match the packages. They have a lot of athletes. They have a lot of guys that they want to try to either get after the quarterback or make sure they're doing some work in the defensive backfield, which obviously we'll get into that. It, it was not a lot of very good work. But, yeah, that, that just can't happen. You are past the halfway point of your season. Those kind of mistakes cannot continue to happen. This defense uh, has a lot of challenges. Now, it is not good on the defensive line. The offensive line is not good. Both of the lines need a tremendous amount of overhaul. And that, that a that, new right tackle That should Friday be night, where the majority correct? of the offseason uh, recruitment needs to be the, targeted at. Both, both lines are a mess, especially the offensive line. And they did, if I'm not mistaken, start a right tackle Yeah, uh, on Friday night uh, who had not played. And that probably showed up a, a little bit. Uh the 97-yard touchdown, the substitution penalties and the 97-yard touchdown pass are the two things that stuck out to me among many, many, many things yeah. as being particularly inexcusable. Well, keep in mind, and Sandy. Just, again, coaching malpractice. How can you be in a defense that allows them, without not only the 97-yard play, but the, the, the time it came in the game, even if they score, if you make them take up time, it's one play, 97 yards. Without the 97 yards and the fact that it was a one-play drive, C wins the game in regulation. The horrific part of it, too, is uh, Elikai Iomanner, who was the terrific 
had the terrific performance in the game. Obviously, a, a ridiculous game. 13 catches, 294 yards. All in second Three half. touchdowns. All the, in yeah, the second Yeah, 97, half. basically a third of what he would catch. Right. Keep in mind, coming into the game, he had 207 yards and one touchdown. That was it on the season. 207 and a touchdown. And then he turns into some... Uh, blend of James Lofton and Ed McCaffrey for Stanford as as their you know wide receivers yeah. absolutely scorching Colorado no matter who they put on him and CU's been vulnerable and still is and a lot of the, the passes to to Ironmatter were of the the inside slant variety which the Buffaloes have proven to be they haven't covered that all yet. Uh, yeah yeah uh, completely unable to cover that with any consistency, if at all. I, I honestly am at the point where I don't really know why other teams don't just plan on throwing inside slants literally 40 times a game. Well, uh, the, they the, sort of have. Yeah, <laughs> That's they, why they're you, giving you up. You might see more of it. So many points. But Iomenor became open in every single way, taking dump-offs and shaking guys, right. uh, going down the sideline routes, everything, and, and looked at no part like the player he had been all season long. So now you're looking at situations that – We've talked about a little bit with the Broncos when they're historically bad defense. Your defense is so poor that it is making offenses better than they've been all year. Well, Stanford's 11th in passing in the 12-team Pac-12 going into the game. 11th in passing. Yeah. And the, Daniels had three touchdowns all year as the quarterback. That was, by the way, the only three touchdowns thrown by Stanford all season. Right. Daniels gets four that yeah. night. Uh, it's a complete and total breakdown, and it felt like I. Th- there's a lot to discuss about it because, despite the fact the defense was collapsing, if you go to the old ESPN analytics that we like to look at there, when it was twenty nine to six in the third quarter, about eight minutes left in the third quarter, yeah, oh yeah, CU's odds of winning were ninety nine point five percent. Well, sure, they were over ninety nine percent. I, I think at halftime they were out, one right mistake, around 99 Two mistakes, even right. three mistakes shouldn't cost you the game, right. but they made mistake after mistake after mistake, whether it was coaching and not getting substitution in, whether it was players being able to unable to read the play, whether it was a decision not. By the way, remember, their leading receiver, Stanford's leading receiver coming into the game, Iomenor was second, only Iomenor, and their other receiver, Urasik, had more than 200 receiving yards all year. Urasik hurt his wrist early in the third. Iomenor had, is the right pronunciation, by the way. He was so unknown right. that even an accomplished analyst uh, like Lewis Reddick, and I can't remember who was doing the play-by-play, mispronounced his name the whole second. Now, nobody knows who he is. You pronounce his name correctly. They mispronounced his name right but Urasik was their first, the their top receiver. He got he, hurt. He got hurt, went down. And the announcers are properly saying at that point, they can't pass it with him, without him. This game is over. In fact, Riddick at one point in the third quarter. And by the way, it was 29 to 6 with 619 left in the third mm-hmm. quarter. Okay. Right. Before, and right before the 97-yard touchdown pass. And Riddick was basically talking as if, the game were over, and I suppose rightfully so, and and talking about what Stanford could take away and what CU would have going into the bye week uh, with with a record of five and two. I mean that that's and perfectly natural. 
because there, there was no indication, even when it was 29 to 6, there was no indication. There were some signs of a little bit of complacency, but there wasn't any indication that they would unravel so completely. Uh, the pass protection is bad. And uh, Shador Sanders, my, my theory now on his holding the ball is that he is attempting uh, virtually alone to mask weaknesses that exist in virtually every other area, save for maybe wide receiver, and even Travis Hunter at cornerback in the second half, he was a liability. Well, there's, he there's wasn't stuff to on, talk about that, too. He was, he was not on Iomenor mm-hmm. all the time. Until the end of but the game. But he was on him enough. And I'm not saying all 294 yards receiving in the nope. second half came against Hunter, but most of them did. Their final touchdown Most did. of them did. And the final touchdown. Which was a brilliant catch. You know, a great catch up, off his helmet. Off, Hunter's off back Hunter's, Hunter's helmet. A, mani- a helmet. spectacular yeah. catch. But the, the odd part for me is at no but, point, at no point after the, they, they lost Urosic, uh Tiger Backmeyer, they tried to get it to him on occasion. He finished with 38 yards. At no point he did, was the only receiver. did the buffs double no, no. Iomer. No, no adjustments. Just double it. Uh, j- j- no, no. And, and no adjustments no whatsoever. Adjustments at, at all. And I, I have a lot of respect for Kelly. He was a well-respected assistant uh, at Alabama. Uh, it, it, I, I remember him from the game I went to uh, last year, being part of the coaching staff and, and their offense, uh, which on the night we saw them against Texas A&M, played uh, without Bryce Young. The offense was shaky. But defense was real good, and the defense had a stand at the end of the game to preserve uh, the win, and he, he's a He's a big part of the coaching staff. Uh, Saban didn't necessarily want to lose him. But Shador Sanders cannot mask the weaknesses of the rest of the team. And he is trying to do that through six weeks, basically succeeding. The other night, you know, of course it was a silly interception in the overtime period. He knows they've got to score a touchdown because he knows they can't prevent one. He threw for 400 yards and five other touchdowns. And, and yes, the interception was a, interception was awful. That's an awful play. That's he just lobbed it up there. That's the mentality, though. It isn't stat padding. No, it's I've the got to score because is, we can't stop anybody. I've got to score. I've got to score. I've got no line. I've got no running game. Mm-hmm. Uh, receivers are are pretty good, but. I've got to make a play out of nothing just about every time. And if it means taking a sack, we'll just have to make a bigger play after that. The The problem is when you get into an overtime and you're the first team with the ball, the one cardinal sin is turning it over. Right. At least get the three. And that part At I think is interesting the too, the decision to decide to take the ball in overtime. There's a lot to discuss there. It's, uh, your show, too, as Sandy discussed, you know, give us a call or text 303-831-1340. A lot of football to talk about. You know, the loss by the Broncos we've discussed, but we'll talk about it more. Loss by the Buffaloes and big wins by the Rams. We'll have to talk about that comeback. Oh, of course. And the, for the first time in four seasons, ranked Air Force Falcons. We'll talk about them all today on Miley Sports. 
This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. And that's where they come battling. Oh, oh what a grab! What a highlight! Io Manor! Mind your manners! What a catch! That'll make your Sports Center top 10. He took it off of Travis Hunter's hat! Holy cow. Have a night, <laughs> Alec Io Manor. Just watch this. The throw. He takes it, he traps it to his back of his helmet. He did have a night for sure. Uh, Had a second catches. half. Yeah, <laughs> 294 yards, three touchdowns, and a 97-yard touchdown. Obviously, that one uh, with Travis Hunter. That was the winner. On as good of a coverage as In you effect, can do. That was the winner. It, it was because then the... Uh, See, you uh, turned it over. They turned it over, yeah. and then all you have to do is uh, get, get that field, field goal, goal, which is exactly yeah. what they did. Stanford... Uh, is celebrating for quite some time uh, on the field up at Folsom after the, after even uh, all fans had left. Still more than a few players out there, you know, sitting on the Buffalo. I was out the there taking selfies until about three in the morning. I think. Why not? I mean, that's uh, look. There, there are all time great receivers in college football that will never have a day like that. Yeah. That that's as good as it gets. And for Colorado. This is where there has to be a bit of a gut check because Deion Sanders talked about complacency. I think he was correct. This this team felt like it was a laugher. I don't think the players, what's curious about it, though, is I think the players, to a certain extent, yes, they felt comfortable. To a certain extent, I think that their line is so, on both sides of the ball, is so subpar that you almost have two teams because in college football at its highest levels, you can just out-athlete your opposition in a lot of cases. Colorado, I think, looked at many of their players and their team and said, we have the better athletes. And they probably did have the better top-end athletes. But that wasn't enough. And for Stanford, who had an extra week to prepare for this, they came off their bye. This was their national championship game, and they played like it. It would have been easy for them to roll over down 29-0. Instead, they just came back one bite at a time, one bite at a time, and the Buffaloes kind of indicated every time there was a mistake or every time Stanford scored that, well, that was just a one-off. It'll never happen again. And then it kept happening, and all of a sudden, the ground shifts from underneath you. You lose. The head coach has to take some responsibility for this, though. Why was there complacency? Mm-hmm. That's question number one. And that's fair. And I think it's because you help create it uh, with a lot of the talk. And this is, again, the downside of how they're presenting themselves up there. And there was an hilarious Saturday night live <laughs> skit <laughs> no, on Saturday that we'll play sure. when we bring in Rick Perea later on. We'll play that. And... It's hilarious because there's so much truth in it. And, yes, you're entitled to crow when you win a game you're not supposed to win, as Mm -hmm. they did at TCU, to open the season. But, to me, you're also responsible for taking a little bit more of the loss on your shoulders than Deion Sanders did after the game on Friday night slash Saturday morning. 
you have to take more of the responsibility. Uh, he finally allowed as to, after being asked a follow-up question on it and refusing to answer the first question on the whole substitution thing. First time he was asked, but I wouldn't answer. Uh, so, you know, basically, oh, it's one of those things. Then he was pressed. I don't know if it was the same reporter. Uh, if it was, it's the first reporter in four years who's been asked, uh, allowed to ask a follow-up question <laughs> yeah. in any sport around here yeah. or anywhere, maybe, maybe anywhere in the country. But anyway, a follow-up question was asked, and he finally, when pressed, said, well, that kind of, you know, I'm the head coach, and that's on me. Don't blame blame me. Don't blame him, which sounded almost like a deflection, too. I mean, it, yeah, it's it's Kelly's deal, but when you're talking about complacency, why didn't you say something at halftime? It's easy to say something after the game, sure. and we have a clip of that, mm -hmm. about 48 seconds, where he's reprimanding the team, excoriating his team. But yeah, you need to be able to step in at but the halftime and say, say half we haven't won anything. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What, what's, what's going on? You, you guys want participation ribbons because it's 29 nothing in your favor? We got, we got 30 minutes left to play. They're not, they're not going to stop playing. They have nothing to lose. It's one thing to use it after the game and say, well, I could sense it going on at halftime. Well, then do something about it. And it's complacency that I, I have to say he helped to create. I think that's fair. I mean, I think one of the challenges here is is to build up the buffs and the Coach Prime brand and, and everything that you're trying to do, you have to basically indicate that uh, this is this unstoppable rocket. Right. And you, that's that's the perception. Oh, we, we've arrived. And, and, and the statement made most recently, anybody who doesn't see what's going on here has lost his or her mind. Yeah. He's a hater. Remarkably arrogant. This is after a loss he's saying this to USC. Mm-hmm. And if USC's so great, how come they got beat by four touchdowns by a Notre Dame team that's already lost two games this year? I, 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 I'm just saying, you, when you talk like that after a loss, I'm not saying you then get, they came back. Nice. Acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. Against USC, I mean. Right. But don't start in after a loss with this. Anybody who doesn't see where we're going with this is a hater. Or doesn't know what's going on, or doesn't understand it. Even Deion Sanders said, "Well, you better not get on social media after the game the other night." He says this to his players. We'll hear more in a moment. Don't get on social media because they're all right. Yeah. First of all, he called it foolishness, and said all the foolishness actually is right. Mm -hmm. And again, our man Rick Perea, the only man in the city who said, you know, hey, Stanford could beat him. And we didn't scoff as vehemently as we did the first time he said it prior to the CSU game. He's looking pretty wise and forecasting. Penalties. Their, uh, he said they'd win it. He, he still had them winning four games. And it looks for all the world now like they'll go four and eight. It and does. if you think they're going to be favored against Arizona here, no. you're crazy. No, they won't be favored the rest of the year. Arizona slaughtered Washington State, a ranked team at Washington State. Arizona's a good team, a better team than CU. And in this region now, you've got Air Force, ranked team, yep, Wyoming, honorable mention votes, 
for top 25, no, and rightfully maybe so. Maybe they would have been in had they not lost to Air Force. And CSU likely to win more games than Colorado wins this year. Colorado might be the worst team in the state. And or region. When it comes to, yeah, when it comes to record, absolutely. By the end of the year at 4-8. We talked Even about the idea of this team maxing out at six wins, and I we never ver- we never wavered from that. Even when they were three and zero, we never wavered from the fact no, that I, six I, was the peak. I thought six was the ceiling, and I was very much surprised, very much surprised that they won at TCU. Very impressed, Sean. They played a sixty-minute game at TCU. Damn. I know they blew a ten-point lead and fell behind three different times after that, but they were playing well. And when they had to get a defensive stop against a very good offensive team, not a very good team, but a very good offensive team, they got it at the end. That was a complete game, and they deserve to be proud of that. Revel in it. Uh, follow it up. Uh, I thought they were flat against Nebraska for the first half plus maybe four or five minutes of the second half when it was 13-7. to seven. Mm-hmm. But after that, they, they played well. But it wasn't a 60-minute game. And not a single game they played no, they since has been since. even close to a 60-minute game. No. And, you know, one win does not a season make. And an experienced head coach would have gotten that message across to his team, and I'm not sure that was the message that was communicated. It was, you've proven all the critics wrong forever, Congratulations. Yes, I think that's fair. And I think that has been a problem, this idea that by winning the TCU game, it validated everything. And I would argue that... It validated some things, but not everything. Right. Well, I'm saying to to the Buffaloes, it appears to be kind of approached as if that was the case. And I think the concern here is how they learn this lesson. I will make the argument, because I've been thinking about this since the game, that if this is handled correctly if because let's be honest here the buffs ceiling was a bowl at six and six now i don't they're gonna not gonna get there they may not even get to five but they weren't gonna get any further than a bowl than a you know middling bowl now they're not gonna get that barring anything strange now that's the reality for and i I, will start at the top for Deion sanders that's the reality You've walked in as a big-time winner down at Jackson State, lost very few games. Now, all of a sudden, you, you started out great. Uh, you knocked off TCU. I agree with you. They didn't play a 60-minute game against Nebraska, but against a team that a lot of people thought was their equal in Nebraska. They proved definitely not to be, and that's a historic rival, another big statement game. So I'm, I'm willing to say, okay, first two games, you looked all oh, yeah. the world like you, this program had turned around. Not a lot of fault to find. Ever since then, this has looked like a team that thought when they went 2-0, and they might as well have finished the season unbeaten. And let the celebrities keep coming in and uh, giving pregame speeches. a couple notable exceptions, down. first and foremost, Shudder Sanders, who I think you have exactly right. I think he understood. And, and we, over the last two weeks, I kind of put this together. I, I made the argument that I thought Sanders had they basically made the decision. We compared it to the orange crush Broncos that the only way the offense was going to make big plays it was in big chunks and you were going to gamble on the big play and if that meant you had, you and took a sack you take it just a sack. don't turn it over in this case now I think we've learned more as you added on yeah. I think that's got to carry the I whole think team. that is true at the same time I think the problem is your talent lies with your quarterback and your wide receivers the that's wide it. receivers are the that's most it. dependent position on a football yeah. field the most and they are stacked there 
They are stacked there. They have a ton of talented wide receivers. But they can only do what they can do if the offensive line does what it does, which it doesn't, if the running game buys them some extra, which it hasn't, and then if Sanders can somehow stay ambulatory, taking 35 sacks this year, and then somehow get them the ball. You thought they struggled without Travis Hunter? Imagine what it would be like if Shadur Sanders went down. I mean, they wouldn't even be competitive no. against anybody. Not right now. Now, at least they were competitive, semi-competitive without Travis Hunter. And I'm going to say they didn't miss him, but I also say this. I know he had a terrific game offensively. I don't think if he did play on Friday night, and I think Dion should have stuck to his guns on that one Me too. from a couple of weeks ago when he said, we'll play him after the bye week. He wants to play now. We're going to wait. We're going to wait an extra week. Yeah, I think they should Because we as get well. an extra week with the bye. We're going to wait an extra week. But once you decided to play him, play him on one side we about or the other, the but not he, both. They needed him on defense. That's where they needed him. At 100 was great. 13 catches for 140 yards, two touchdowns, including taking a massive shot uh, on that touchdown. But... Xavier Weaver had seven for 124. It's not a it's not a huge leap to suggest that if Hunter didn't play, Weaver might have had Hunter's numbers and Horn or Antonio or Tarvaris Dawson or one of the guys that has all stepped up might not have had uh, those kind of numbers as well because there's enough there. What they needed him was on defense, and it's it's similar on defense. There's just no quarterback. Sanders was able to recruit and get through the transfer portal, the quote unquote skill positions, right? So he can get wide receivers. He can get. He brings his son for quarterback. They don't have much else at quarterback yet. They have cornerbacks. They they ended up bringing Cormani McLean. Uh, you have Travis Hunter. Yeah. Uh, Shiloh Sanders is back. You have D-backs. The problem is if nobody can get after the quarterback well, or stop the run, yeah. your D-backs, again, yeah. are stuck doing everything. I, and so I, they're playing. I, I, I agree. It, it's just they, they, it, they have these quote-unquote skill guys all over the place, but those guys are dependent. It was the perfect storm of. Catastrophic You're going to have to learn if you're Colorado. They weren't good at corner, though, the other night. And no. he wasn't good at corner the other night. No. I, I'm saying, but, but and he I agree with you. exhausted if by you, the game. I, I agree. And so did the receiver, uh, Iomenor, but he didn't have to play defense. Right. And he was tired. In fact, he commented on that. Uh, yeah, Sean I, Keeler of the Denver Post, he commented, he said, I have so much respect for... Shadur Sanders and for um, Travis Hunter, especially for Hunter playing both sides, I could never imagine doing that. I was exhausted at the end of the game, as as well he should have been. But imagine if he was tired, how somebody with a lacerated liver, you know, three and a he half, almost four weeks much. earlier, hadn't played. Imagine how he felt, and they had no choice but to leave him in the game defensively, but he he was part of the problem. And I understand that you have to balance it out, and his offensive exploits were a main driving force behind the 29 nothing halftime lead. I get that. But in the second half, he was a liability. Almost as much as any other player on defense, he was a liability. They went right at him, perhaps sensing that he couldn't possibly be in the same kind of shape as the player I saw in Fort Worth on opening day 100 degrees, all kinds of humidity, and he played 
130 snaps or thereabouts on both sides of the ball and even played some special team snaps. Here was the problem the other night. He did the same thing the other night. Maybe not for quite as many snaps, but he played special teams the other night. He played offense. He played defense. He was spent by the end of the game. And the... It's, it's easy as a head coach to come out, and I understand the frustration, but to come out and say, I'm distancing myself, it's on them, and come out and say, we don't, I don't think have the audio on this, but he claims he told the players after the game, I wonder if you love this game. Yeah, talked about And I thought that was, that's it. a cheap shot. That's a, that's a cheap shot. But again, you build these guys up and make them all think they're superstars, and then you say, after a game like the one Friday night, I don't know if you love the game. I mean, where, where, where do you go from there if you lose at UCLA? You lose to Oregon State. You lose to Arizona. You lose at Washington State. You lose at Utah. Is your conclusion to the end? Well, I've six games. We don't care. We don't love the game. There well, is, the players don't. I do, but the players don't love it. And that's that's one of the challenges, and I think that there's one of the dangers that Colorado was always going to run into when it comes to, to getting Deion Sanders as their head coach. I think for the most part, it's an immense positive. They've had almost a decade worth of a jump start, but there are potholes. They ran into one. Can they dig out of this one? There are reasons to be concerned, and we'll get to your text next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Great football weekend, at least, uh, you know, when you're talking about entertainment value for the most part. Not so great if you're a Buffaloes or a Broncos fan. Pretty great if you're a Rams or Falcons fan. But we take a look at at the Buffaloes. We want to go back to the uh, the text line as well. 303-831-1340 is the number. Danny Bailey's been monitoring that. And uh, What do you have, Danny? Yeah, this one coming in from Joe. He says, a couple weeks ago, Dr. Perea made a point that CU has elite talent, which will allow them to win some games, but also a lack of structure and foundation, which will come back to hurt them. I felt the Stanford loss epitomized that in two starkly different halves of play. No question. That's a great, great observation. And I think here's one of the challenges when you talk about, and I'll look at just Deion Sanders in this case. There is a history of, Players becoming coaches and players becoming good coaches. However, when you look at truly great players, Hall of Fame players, and I'm talking about the history of sports, the track record is much less successful coaches. than you might think as coaches. Coaches. Now, let's let's make a distinction mm-hmm. because Ozzie Newsom as an executive, yep. outstanding. Brilliant. Jerry West as an executive, outstanding. Mm-hmm. You ask Jerry West to this day, how good a coach he was, and his answer will be the worst. Larry Bird is somewhat similar. Bird, well, Bird was okay as a coach, Larry and then the message Bird, got thin. Because Larry he, Bird was a CEO head coach. Mm-hmm. Rick Carlisle coached the team. Right. Larry Bird's close friend, who was his lead assistant, he coached And Bird decided just to back out of it entirely. And Bird was not a lifer. Right. And didn't pretend to be. Didn't pretend to be a genius. 
didn't even hide the fact that, you know, you know Carlisle's basically coaching the team. Magic Johnson, for a short time, coached the Lakers. There's was a story off. about was uh, Nick Van Exel at the time. Yeah. And Nick Van Exel got balled out by Magic. Magic basically said, look, you have to know where all your, your players are and where they're going to be all simultaneously. And, and Nick kind of stared at him, apparently, and went, like, wow, how do I do that? I only have two eyes. He you, sounded like Vic Fangio. You can go all yeah, the way, I only have two you eyes. Can all, yeah, go you all the way back to Ted Williams, who once excoriated mm-hmm. his Washington Senators team because they had a bad uh, run against a, a couple of curveballers in a row. And into his team and said, you know, well, what's the issue? And they said, we're not reading it. And he said, well, just look at the seam spinning off, off of the release. Yeah, right. And the guy's like, but can't I can't do that. can't do that. You could do that. You're Ted Williams. Ted Williams was a good manager. You could look at all five guys on the court at the same time. You're Magic Johnson. He, he was actually a good manager for hitters. But in the end, he expected hitters to kind of do what he had done. And he's a terrible manager for pitchers because he hated pitchers. He was the Buddy Ryan of baseball managers. Buddy Ryan, when he was a head coach, hated his offense, just like he hated his offense when he was the defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. You don't have to go very far, even locally, to find that kind of mistake, even in the role of of the, the GM side. For example, John Elway tried multiple times. Now, yes, he signed Peyton Manning. That's that's obviously the biggest win of his career, tried to get multiple quarterbacks to follow up Manning. Now, what happened? Elway fell for the same trap. He drafted guys that were tall, who were mobile, and who had strong arms, much like one John Elway, and then presumed that the rest of it could just be coached up or it would mature. The problem is we're talking about Magic Johnson, we're talking about Ted Williams, we're talking about John Elway, and we're talking about... Deion Sanders, the only player to ever play in a Super Bowl and the World Series. We are talking about unicorn-level elite athletes. All-timers. The truth of the matter is some of the things that they do and have always done weren't coached. They were special. And... A lot of the time you see these folks who we've talked about make the same mistake that because you could do it, everybody could do it, which oddly is actually sort of comes from a place of humility, which is good that if I could do it, you could do it. But the truth is that's not always the case. Some people can do things that other people cannot do. And other people probably aren't going to love it. As much as you like. And I think that Deion Sanders is expecting guys to be Deion Sanders. In in, in the drive, in the motivation, in the love, and then he talked about guys aren't built for the moment. Okay, again, you were Deion Sanders. Not all the, very few of the guys are going to, it's amazing, quite frankly, that you have a Travis Hunter who might be the closest thing in college football to to what you were, but he's, even he's not Deion Sanders yet. he, He didn't use this exact phrasing but he sure didn't say after tcu that they weren't built for the moment no he was in fact effusive in knocking his supposed critics and saying oh you didn't think my guys could play well he's talking maybe specifically about his son which is a strong man argument anyway because nobody ever said Shadur Sanders no. couldn't play. The question was or just wouldn't be able to adjust. How it would adjust. Ah, was, nobody it, said he can't nobody play. Nobody said he couldn't play. Nobody said that he wasn't 
you know, one of the in the best quarterbacking conference in the country that he was no worse than fifth or sixth among quarterbacks in a quarterback loaded conference. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever said so. Now, now you have to come back once you've gone as far in one direction and now you're at the other end of the spectrum. And where's the 98% of gray area in between the 1% everybody's great. They've all proved you wrong. I proved you wrong. And boy, I had nothing to do with this. I saw it coming. Well, you're the head coach. Stop. Do it. something about it. Stop. Do it. something about it. And if you don't like the way your defensive coordinator is substituting or the kinds of defenses he's calling, then you step in. Then you step in. You're the head coach. And and this this is the, the problem sometimes with CEO head coaches. They don't mind taking all the credit when mm-hmm. they win. They're really reluctant in, in not all cases, but in some to take blame because when they lose and say, hey, I'm the CEO coach, I delegated it. Right. But but don't blame Kelly. Blame me, which is kind of empty, actually. Okay, why should we blame you? But, of course, follow-up questions generally aren't allowed. In what ways did you fail then? I mean, four penalties for 12 men on the field? This really? is going to be, if it's handled right, a learning experience for all of the players on the roster and hopefully for the head coach as well, who now, and and the funny thing, Sandy, is this was always bound to happen. Always. They weren't going to go win the title this year. This was always bound to happen. The question now for the Buffaloes is now what happens that it did? What happens that someone came out that you should have beaten, that you got spanked, and you know what? You tip your cap to Stanford, but you should have still won that game. That's on you. That's on the head coach, the coaching staff, the players. Nobody wearing a Buffalo's anything could look anywhere but the mirror for that loss. And thus far, they've been able to do that. Now what do you do when you have to own it? Who's going to step up and own it? And who isn't going to step up and own it? And the people that do, depending on who they are, that will steer where things go. The people that don't, if they're in certain positions, can make the problem even worse. And that is the turning point. That's that's the fork in the road that the Buffaloes face right now. We'll have an opportunity to break more of it down. It is Mental Health Monday, and so we'll get our checkup from the neck up with our friend Dr. Rick Perea. We'll do that next on Mile High Sports. <laughs> 